looking. Deep pattern. Downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, strap in because we have a busy show for you on this Thursday. We're previewing a real Miami Dolphins football game. The matchups within each unit, stats, facts, film study, keys to the game, everything you want to know for week one, 2021, Dolphins at Patriots, a 425 kickoff up in Foxborough this Sunday, September the 12th. We're also going to hear from Coach Flores, Tua Tungavailoa, Mac Hollins, and much, much more on this game day preview edition of the Drive Time Podcast from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Real quick off the top here, some news and notes. Bobby Hart, the former Cincinnati Bengals and most recently Buffalo Bills offensive tackle, was added to the Miami Dolphins practice squad as Adam Pankey was added to the practice squad injured list. As far as some practice attendance and notes on this Wednesday, Liam Eichenberg was out there at practice. Coach Flores was specifically asked about he and Greg Little, who also was out there on Wednesday's practice, and he was also asked if anybody unexpected would not be out there for practice on this Wednesday, and he said no, and I'm starting to record this podcast before the injury report comes out, so I'll be sure to add it in at the end for you guys. Stick around to the very end. We'll get you the first official injury report for the 2021 season. Some other news. We have some captains, and as I'm sure you've seen it by now, Mac Hollins, receiver on offense. Jesse Davis, offensive tackle, one of the offensive captains. On defense, Jason McCourty and Alandon Roberts. And on special teams, Clayton Fedulum are your five captains. And Mac Hollins kind of detailed the election process of the 2021 captains, saying they put names of guys who wanted to be considered for the role of captain into a hat, and then players voted among that group of players. Now, The player not listed on there that was a point uh, on Twitter, on social media, was Tua Tungavailoa, Dolphins quarterback. And I want to go now to Captain Mac. Can we call him that? Captain Mac sounds pretty good. Mac Collins was asked about the leadership of his second-year quarterback in Tua Tungavailoa. Loved his answer. Here you go. Here's Mac. Um, It's great, especially from last year to this year. Um, And I know the questions are probably coming, why is he a captain? That's just how the... Just because you're a quarterback or just because you're this doesn't mean you have to be the captain or you have to be this. Tua is an excellent leader, exceptional leader. Um, and the transformation he's made from last year to this year is incredible. Um, and I think you you all have seen that in his, like how calm he feels in the pocket now versus last year. If you put a clip side by side, the changes he's made are really like night and day. Uh, and that goes to leadership. It does, it's not like his arm just magically got 10 times better. Um, it went to his confidence and his ability to lead and feel comfortable in the huddle. Love hearing that from Mac. I loved hearing him talk about the side-by-side clip because it reminds me of the action we saw in that Falcons game. The rip took Mike Gesicki down the seam. There was a similar-looking pass concept in the Raider game last year where Tua didn't rip that ball the same way he did this year. So seeing that demonstrable growth, definitely an encouraging sign going forward. And right before now as we pivot 
into the schematics and the personnel and all the fun stuff for the Patriots for this week one matchup, I want to go to this point that Coach made that I think bears repeating with regards to a question about Jalen Phillips and the depth chart. We talked about the depth chart on yesterday's podcast, the first official regular season depth chart for your Miami Dolphins. And Coach was asked specifically about Jalen Phillips's position on that depth chart. Let's go to Coach. I mean, there's just, there's, I wouldn't look too deep into the depth chart. I mean, Jalen's worked, worked really hard. Um, we've had so many different groupings. You can only put one group on the depth chart. So I want to say it's the base group. Actually, I think it's the nickel group. So um, a lot of groupings. We got nickel, we got dime, we got base, we got nine DBs in the game. I mean, we, we got a lot of different groupings. So, um, yeah, look, he's worked hard. I think we'll find a way to get him some snaps. Uh, but we're going to play the guys we feel, you know, give us the best chance to have success. I see that nine defensive back package their coach was talking about. I believe him they will run out as many variety or, or variations of this defense they possibly can. That's been one of the calling cards for Brian Flores, and I'm glad to hear him kind of speak on the depth chart there and just kind of tell us what to expect with regards to that. And that brings us to the New England Patriots. Let's get into the scouting. Now, in week one, a little bit more difficult without recent data to go off of. So we go back to the 2020 season, but just keep this in the back of your mind with a bit of grain of salt that there was no Matthew Judon. There was no Dante Hightower. There was no Kyle Van Noy. They reloaded in that area. So you can probably expect with their ability to do more, to do more. Because last year, their blitz rate was just 24.4%. And that was 23rd in the National Football League. But how much of that was because of the personnel? Well, we can't know that, but we can know the blitz rates from previous years. In 2019, the Patriots blitzed at a 37.1% clip, up 13% more than this past year, and also sixth place in the entire National Football League. What about 2018? 30.9%, a bit of a dip from 2019, but still the eighth most frequent blitzing team in the National Football League. And Coach Flores touched on this on Thursday, and good on the reporter, who I didn't recognize who it was, for sniping my question. Doesn't happen often, and he asked about week one prep compared to, and you heard this on the podcast yesterday, talking to Josh Boyer and some of the assistant coaches, comparing week one prep to even just week two prep when there's at least one game film on a team to go off of. And my intentions were to ask the same question, but I was going to go more specifically about what we just talked about there with the Patriots and the new parts, you know, to go in line with that topic about how maybe personnel dictated the calls a little bit more last year. But here was Coach's answer regarding preparing for a team that is has some new pieces. And in week one, when it's kind of a mystery for that team, here's Coach Flores on prepping in week number one. You know, week one, there's... I mean, it's when you have the least amount of information. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is predicting, forecasting, um, based off of the preseason, based on... Um, what players have done in the past, what coaches have done in the past. But, you know, know, coaches change. You know, we we, we all go through different concepts, different themes throughout the offseason, offensively, defensively, in a kicking game. Um, Implement a few new things. Um, So I think at the end of the day, you know, game one is about fundamentals, techniques, communication, um, tackling well. 
which is obviously part of a fundamental, you know, throwing, catching the ball, you know, playing penalty free. I think those things, you know, no matter what week, those those are things that are kind of standard operating procedures you have to have. But week one from a, you know, scouting plays, schematic concept standpoint, uh, yeah, you have the least amount of information. But then you really kind of rely on your rules, believe in your rules, follow your rules, um, and your fundamentals. And I think if you do that, really in any game, you know, probably, probably your best bet. So more from yesterday's concept of expect the unexpected. But, I mean, even then with this Patriots team, man, it's tough. Like last year, the week one game was, you know, quarterback power, quarterback lead over and over and over, and we barely saw our fifth defensive back in that game. Then week number two, they go to Seattle, and they had Cam Newton airing that thing out and put up a ton of points against the Seahawks defense, who, of course, would wind up rewriting some of the records for most yards and points allowed throughout whatever week that current week was, and it kind of began in that week two game against the Patriots. So they are definitely adaptable, even on a week-to-week basis. But I want to go ahead and get now into the personnel groupings. But again, this is a little more guesswork than it is solidified. Shoot, even Coach said as much right there as we just heard. So last year, and this comes from Sharp Football Stats, 11 personnel, that's one back, one tight end, three receivers. That was ran 53% of the time. Now, the biggest disparity I assume you'll see is 12 personnel. They ran at just 2% last year, but they went out and signed John Smith and Hunter Henry, two of really probably the top 10 or 15 tight ends in the National Football League when both are healthy. 21% 21 personnel rather last year, which is two backs, one tight end, two receivers, equals 37%. They ran 20 personnel, two backs, no tight ends, with a 5% clip. And then there are 22 packages, 10 package, and 0-0 package, all 1% or less. So primarily 11% last year, and they were 61% pass out of that package last year. So a 6-4 to four ratio there. But the pass success rate from Sharp Football was just 42% with 51% success rate on rundowns. And what success rate means is basically how many yards you gain relative to the down and distance that you're facing. So if you cut your yardage in half on first down or second down, that's a successful play. If you convert on third down, that's a successful play. Otherwise, it's not. So that's kind of where that thinking goes. But in that 21 personnel package, that rate was flipped to 61% run. So obviously two backs equals more run. But the passing success rate out of that package was just 54%. Now from their 12 personnel package, and I mean All the tight ends and quarterbacks are essentially gone or different players now, but on those just 22 plays they ran from 12 personnel, only a 38% success rate on passing downs. And therein kind of tells the, or in lies, the nature of their offseason, I think, as far as we got to get better at doing the counter to what that package looks like. So in 12 personnel, typically a little bit more of a run-heavy package, or like we talked about with two backs, you're typically going to run the football more but you have to be able to counter with successful passing rates on those downs and on those packages. And they just didn't have that last year. And if you want to challenge this Dolphins defense, to me, you're going to have to successfully pass the ball out of those packages. And I think that challenge is exponentially harder with the additions we talked about with Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, obviously Mac Jones, and a healthier offensive line. And then also Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar outside with Jacoby Myers, seemingly making his way towards the top of the depth chart there throughout training camp this August. So I look at the 12 personnel package and I go back to 2011, maybe it was 2010, one of those two years, where the Patriots utilized 12 personnel as their primary package on offense 
And only a handful of teams have done that over the last decade plus or so. And I know this because in prepping for the draft and the possibility of Kyle Pitts being one of the top players on the board, having the third pick, you, you go over all those top guys. And I was curious to see how many clubs had ever operated out of a, you know, quote unquote base package of two tight ends. And I think it was the Eagles a couple of years ago with Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. And the 49ers have done some of it too with two tight ends or two back sets in general. Obviously with Kyle Juszczyk, they're one of the best t- uh, fullbacks in the game. But the makeup of the roster... That could be the case this year. We get our first crack of seeing it against us, the Miami Dolphins, with that two tight end package up in Foxborough. But just some things I jotted down before we get into the matchups here. Now, in the past, from what I've seen, they've wanted to go play action and stress your second level and really, really stress those rules and those keys and those fundamentals of that second level. So getting them into long down and distances, I think, could generate some big plays with its whether it's pressures and sacks or hands-on footballs and tips and scoops and picks and that kind of thing. Big key to this game. We're going to come back to that a few times on this podcast. Always got to be privy to the screen game and the trick play game and the double pass game. We've seen this Patriots team break that stuff out for years and years and years under a phenomenal play caller in Josh McDaniels. Just kind of keep your head about yourself that way. And then Tua on offense is going to have to be precise. He's going to have to make good decisions and not miss as they will play coverage and drop seven guys or drop eight guys against you and force the quarterback to make those tight window throws and those anticipation throws. Now, they might be apprehensive to blitz him. I I don't know, but just going off of Tua's blitz numbers, we're going to get to those here in just a second. That might make me think that maybe they play more coverage, but we're just guessing here. But the the return of Hightower and Van Noy and Judon and Winovich and and Josh Uche, who kind of, you know, those last two guys were not returning, but it was a, a unique year for those guys. Having all five of those guys in your pass rush chamber, so to speak, that is a tall, tall order for this Dolphins line up front and the young quarterback. As far as the Dolphins offensively, I mean, we'll get into this a little bit more, but the combination of speed and size, I think, could help as far as trying to remove the top of the defense, but also taking advantage of the space created inside to guys like Devontae Parker, Mike Gesicki, Matt Collins, and possibly those vacated curl zones, you know, 10, 20 yards down the field. You have to win the vertical and intermediate levels of the game against this defense. And if they go man, I mean, that's a prominent offense for this, or a prominent defensive package called for a Bill Belichick defense. Maybe some jet motion action, create some false steps, and possibly some rub opportunities with all that speed. So having the versatility on offense, I think, is a good way to match and pair up against the Patriots' versatility they have on defense. And then defensively for the Patriots, few teams run as many DB-heavy packages as the Pats, but... It'll just depend on their game plan, what they want to take away. They're a team that could stay in dime all game, or they could play from their base all game. Probably going to be a little bit of both. It just all depends. It's tough to peg what this team wants to do on a given week, especially in week number one. So the matchups we're looking at here, we're going to go down this thing position by position and start off here with the Patriots quarterback against the Dolphins safeties. That's just kind of how the matchups work. You'll know more as we go along here as I explain this thing. So Mac Jones in college, his blitz... uh, his success rate against blitzing improved his completion percentage 1.6 percent his yards per attempt were up 0.6 yards at 11.5 yards per clip this is college stats by the way and 23 uh, touchdowns and three picks when not blitz compared to 18 touchdowns and one pick when blitz so he had great numbers last year and even better against the blitz so keep that in mind as a play action passer 75.9 percent completion that was Uh, 2% less than his non-play action passing, but he did have a 12.7 yards per attempt compared to 9.7 yards per attempt with no play action, and he threw for 19 touchdowns with two picks 
uh, with play action and 22 touchdowns and two picks with no play action. But my key for Mac Jones, you got to heat him up. And that's, that's the key to the game. He used clean pockets to get his mechanics cranked up and kind of wind up and drive the football. I think if you put trash down around his feet, and as the case with any young quarterback, to force him to move and slide and throw without setting his feet from different platforms, I don't think he compares to these guys a la carte in the comprehensive sense. But there are similarities there from a mobility standpoint with a Jimmy Garoppolo, a Jared Goff, a Joe Flacco. And we know how the Dolphins were able to scheme up pressure on those quarterbacks a year ago. Now it's a new year, but a lot of the same pieces. And you always want to put pressure on a quarterback, especially a young quarterback, and especially a quarterback that isn't going to burn you with the 40-yard run, so to speak. But the Dolphins' blitz rate last year, to kind of continue the point, was 40.8%, and that was second in the NFL behind Baltimore, who ran 44.1% blitzing. And I kind of shoehorned safeties into this group, like I mentioned off the top, but I do think it's fitting because, you know, when I identify one of the two keys a quarterback has to ID pre-snap, it's front and coverage, and the safety is often the key to the coverage tell. Where's he at? Where's he taking my eyes? Where's he taking my read? So Eric Rowe, one of the more experienced players on this roster and safeties for sure, does a little bit of everything, but he's so good at matching up on tight ends. And even with the Pats having two of, in my opinion, their best skill players at the tight end position in Smith and Henry, you have to imagine Rowe draws one of the two frequently. And of course, his role does kind of change up on game day. He plays a lot of different roles for this defense. And we'll get into that tell of the tape on the receiver slash tight end versus DB's portion. But going on to the Dolphins safeties further, Javon Holland's instincts are really something that stands out to me in this matchup. And with rookies, you know, typically the game, it's a little bit fast. And Javon's obviously a rookie too. And if that means being two-tenths of a second slower with decisions and throws, I think that's where Javon Holland was able to get his hands on so many footballs in college, but also here in practice over the course of training camp. And I've referenced this play by Javon against Stanford in the Pac-12 championship game several times now, a few years ago, where he falls off of his man in coverage and picks up a route from the backside of the formation. It's that kind of stuff. I think Javon could get himself a shot to put his hands on the football, and we know how good he is at finishing plays. That's something I'm going to keep an eye on on this game. Where is number eight at on defense, and can he bait the rookie quarterback, the rookie safety, bait the rookie quarterback into some mistakes or some slower throws that give him the chance to make the break and make the play on the football? And really the same is true here with Jason McCourty in that he has seen everything you can see on a football field, and he was consistently in good position all training camp long. And then Brandon Jones, I think, relates a little bit closer to Eric Rowe, but his instincts, as you know, also stand out to me too. I'll be curious to see how those matchups play out, but that again is for another segment. The grand takeaway here, you got to heat up Mac Jones, and how do you do that? You have to get by the offensive line, right? Which takes us to our next matchup, Patriots O-line versus Dolphins defensive line, and this is arguably the best unit in this game, the Patriots offensive line, and it just so happens to go up against another one of the best units in this contest in the Dolphins defensive line, and to me, this is where this game is won and lost, as cliche as it is. You have to win the game in the trenches, right? Like, yeah, it's cliche, but it's also cliche for a reason. And in this game, I think it's the key to the game. You simply cannot let them lean on you. And it starts with those guards, because once they start leaning, that opens up play action, then you get multifaceted, and then things can just be really difficult to defend because you have to go left, right, behind, and forward as far as a defender goes. The more you can limit their options and make them play left-handed, that's the key. The Patriots want to keep the whole playbook open. 
But these guards, man, they're both so good. Michael Unwenu and Shaq Mason are two of the best in the game for my money. And David Andrews has been one of the best centers in the league. He just has had some health problems the last couple of years. But it's not like they're lacking at tackle either. They have two damn good ones out there in Isaiah Wynn and Trent Brown. Probably one of the best offensive lines in the National Football League. And one of the things that stands out about that unit is their sheer size. But we've noted all camp long how that matchup kind of coincides in a way with what the Dolphins can do, right? And I would say that about anyone because I think this front for the Dolphins can get to literally anything they want. And perhaps in this one, you want to look at some more of that bare front where you line up bodies over the guard center and guard to help free up your linebackers and keep those guys clean with the work of a Zach Sealer, a Raekwon Davis, a Christian Wilkins, an Adam Butler, a John Jenkins, and the versatility all five of those guys offer. And back to the Patriots offensive line here, the pressure numbers for those guys from 2020 are as follows. Isaiah Wynn, 16 pressures on 337 pass blocking snaps. That's one every 21.1 pass blocking snaps. Pretty legit outside, but you're going to see how the disparity between pressures off the outside compared to the inside compare here. Unwenu, 14 pressures on 486 pass blocking reps. That's one every 34.7. What a hell of a rookie year he had last year. David Andrews, 12 pressures on 370 pass blocking snaps every 30.8 reps. Shaq Mason, 22 on 400. That's one every 18.2 reps. That's not been his game over the years. He's been much better than that stat here from Pro Football Focus. And then Trent Brown, seven pressures on 162 reps. He also missed a big chunk of the year. That's one every 23.1 reps. Very close to Isaiah Wynn's number there. But again, that's on top of being the fourth-ranked rushing offense a year ago. And this, to me, is the key of the game again. You have to find a way to win on early downs and prevent them from getting into third and five or shorter. Any third and long plays right into the hands of the Dolphins' defense and what they do well, and the converse is true of that in the Patriots' offense on third and short. I think the most crucial element of this game is those early down success for the Dolphins' defense and Patriots' offense. And the thing about this line is that, well, they can do it all. And stop me if you heard this before. Pin pull, gap scheme, wide zone, power. They'll mix in some wham traps when they're at it. Like, it's all on the table. So the work this Dolphins team does daily to play with their eyes and really be disciplined with where their eyes take them, I think that will be the key going into this game. We mentioned Trent Brown. He was with the Raiders last year. Now, he was charged with two pressures in that Week 16 game, and those both came courtesy of Emmanuel Ogba. That's a matchup I'm looking at in this game is big on big, length on length, good on good. Ogba versus Trent Brown. That could be a fun one-on-one matchup if we get to that point. Keep an eye on that off the Patriots' right side of their offensive line. Now, other matchups in this area... They kept Cam Newton clean in that second game, relatively speaking, uh, in Week 15 with nine total pressures on 35 dropbacks, but just two of those were QB hits, and four of those pressures came right down the middle up the center. So I'm curious to see how Adam Butler does against David Andrews, if his quickness can put Andrews on skates and kind of free up those A-gaps a little bit. And not to mention, this is a player who's practiced against Andrews for the last four years now, but obviously those same advantages apply to Andrews up against Butler. These guys know each other very well, both being longtime Patriots. Also keep an eye on heavy personnel. Only the, only the Ravens last year ran more six and seven offensive line groupings than the Patriots last year. They love to beef up and run the football accordingly. And we talked about the tight ends a little bit. Let's go ahead and jump to our next unit here. The skill players of the Patriots versus the Dolphins defensive backs. And Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne were the big additions this offseason. And we saw both those guys last year with the Niners and the Raiders respectively. And Aguilar had a big night in that Week 16 
win over the Raiders. He had five catches on six targets for a buck 55 and a touchdown. Now, obviously, the big 85 yarder was what really spiked those stats, but Xavier Howard was the one who forced a lone incompletion. He had Aguilar had three catches matched up on Byron Jones and then one on both Van Noy and Roberts. Now, Nelson has inside-outside flexibility. So he could see a variety of players in terms of coverage. He's a shifty guy that can create quick separation, and he's a good downfield threat. It seems like he's really solved that drop problem he had early in his career and turned into a very nice player. So do not sleep on Nelson Aguilar. You don't want to get caught peeking at the run or those two tight ends, and then you slip in Nelson Aguilar behind that. Whatever it might be, you have to keep your eyes on all areas of the field. I think both Miami and New England did well to address their ability to attack all three levels this offseason. We saw Kendrick Bourne in week five last year. He saw four targets in that game and caught just two for 30. That includes a touchdown late in that game. But PFF charged that one to Eric Rowe, who was in coverage on Bourne for just one snap. Needham got him for two targets and no completions allowed, while Wilkins was the closest defender on an 11-yard catch in that game. But you look at the athletic profile of those matchups, that's more of a guy that worked inside in San Francisco, more inline or nasty splits in tight to the formation. It'll be interesting to see how the Pats deploy him, and if they want to get him outside with some work on Xavier Howard or Byron Jones, or if Nick Needham gets out there, whatever the case may be, deployment, I mean, I'm just going to be watching all day, alignment, assignment, deployment, all that fun stuff. And then Jacoby Myers. He caught 7 of 10 targets in the game last December. He's a technician, a smooth route runner, man. He is is so crisp in and out of his breaks. He's going to put stress on your defensive backs. He even caught 3 out of 4 on Xavier Howard, though X did punch one of those out for a forced fumble and a takeaway. But you see the length of those catches. A lot of nickel and diming, something the Patriots have always done so well. 10 targets produces 111 yards. I mean, that doesn't kill you in the moment, but you do that 10 times in a game, that can catch up to you. But if it's a lot of 12 personnel, I like Miami's chances of really getting some good results with X and Byron outside covering up whichever two receivers they run out there in that personnel package. And that's where we move inside to the tight end position because we saw Hunter Henry last year with the Chargers. Now he caught four or five targets in that game, but for just 30 yards. Now he did score the the touchdown. I think it was kicking off the second half when Miami had a nice 10 point lead, but just one catch for four yards going up against Eric Rowe a lot in that game. And Rowe gave him problems kind of getting that hand on the back plate there and and controlling the routes and running the routes for him. And two of the four catches in that game came against Elandon Roberts, Dolphins middle linebacker, for just 19 yards for Hunter Henry. So they've seen him, they've matched up, and they've really contained him very well in the past. Now, Jonu Smith is the piece that really intrigues me in the sense that I think he's a guy you really have to spotlight for his multifaceted talents. With the Titans... He was in the slot 30% of the time, in line 52% of the time, and then out wide 13% of the time with some variations in the backfield and otherwise going across the formation. But man, he can make plays in the run game. He was a big part of sealing off some of the edges and those kind of slower stretch runs to Derrick Henry, some of the power schemes they ran there with the Titans, but also his ability to make plays after the catch. Coach talked about tackling in this game. If John o. Smith makes a catch, Bring the whole damn party to the football because he is one of the best run-after-catch tight ends I've ever seen. So controlling him is going to be a key to this game, in my opinion. Finally, on the Patriots offense, Patriots running backs versus Dolphins linebackers. And Ramondre Stevenson has a thumb injury that uh, popped up on on, uh, Wednesday. I saw the report, but it says they're saying they're hopeful he can go. He's an absolute hammer, the rookie out of Oklahoma. He and Damian Harris, I think, uh, pair very well behind that offensive line. They're capable of 
really taking over a game, this Patriots run game, with their physicality. And Harris is a patient runner who can get behind those pads and really explode when he makes that decision to hit it and go. For Stevenson, even as a rookie, he's shown a lot in that area, and they're both capable on all three downs, just like James White and really J.J. Taylor are, for that matter, a very deep running back room. And the thing with these backs is the same theme, to be prepared for all of it. But that's where Alandon Roberts comes in. We've seen him deliver some of those big hits. I like his ability to take on blockers if someone gets into that second level on a catch and climb and really match up against those big backs inside. I think Roberts is going to be key because of the Patriots' ability to go big and run the football. You can see a good snap count from E-Rob, and hopefully he brings the lunch pill and does what he does best and knocks those guys around. But Jerome Baker is just as important, of course. Now, if J.J. Taylor or James White are in the game, that's a matchup I think Jerome is really equipped for. And they're really going to be that, you know, that's really going to be this game is, is who can create and exploit matchups the best because both teams have so many opportunities to do so. Now, how about the other side of the football? We start here with the quarterbacks to a tongue of Iloa versus the Patriots safety. And first, Tua said a couple of things that I found very intriguing at his Wednesday media. And wouldn't you know it, I was sniped again twice in one day. Who saw it coming? I'm not complaining. I'm glad it got asked. I'm just surprised. Now, first, he was asked about getting the ball out of his hands quickly into the hands of his playmakers. Here's Tua. I mean, they're a tough defense. Um, you know, I think you look at the resume of Coach Belichick. I mean, really, really good defenses. Um, and, you know, this is like no other week. You know, we, we take all these games serious. And, um, you know, for me, I, I think it's really just getting the ball out quick um, and letting our playmakers make plays for us. But the one that I really wanted to ask, and this was one of those like deja vu moments, but the deja vu came to me thinking ahead, so it wasn't actually deja vu. But I was thinking about Bill Belichick, Brian Flores, and Nick Saban, and these three coaches who really cut their teeth on the defensive side of the football and have obviously risen to the peak of the coaching profession in doing so. That's a lot of knowledge on defensive football, and obviously Tua has been around Saban daily for you know three years there in Alabama, and now Brian Flores for two years. And I had asked Coach about how a defensive play caller would coach Tua and say, you know, here's how I would attack you and how you can take advantage of those vulnerabilities of that particular attack plan. And just as I'm thinking about this to myself in my own head, someone asked Tua a question, and he has this answer. Well, you know, for me, um, I'm just focused on what we can do. Um, you know, and I, I try to put myself in a situation uh, where I'm Bill Belichick, you know, if I was Bill Belichick, what would I want to do to stop myself? You know, and that's kind of how I, I try to go about that. I would love to see what that conversation within Tua's head looks like, but of course we'll have to find out with the results on Sunday. So Tua and the safeties, I mean, first we talked about the Patriots' frequency to blitz in the past, and we've detailed Tua's ability to beat the blitz on this podcast many, many times. And he said himself, you know, get it out quick, just like for Mac Jones and the Patriots offense, winning those early downs and those layups on getting the football out quick to create more advantageous third downs is going to be the key. And against the Blitz last season, Tua completed 65% of his passes. That's up 1.4% from his non-Blitz reps. 6.5 yards per attempt. That's up 0.4 yards per attempt from the non-Blitz. And then seven touchdowns to one INT compared to four touchdowns and four picks when he was not blitzed. So against the Patriots, specifically last year against the Blitz, 6 for 6, 56 yards when they blitzed him. No touchdowns, no picks. Now, in that secondary, Devin McCourty is a guy you just have to account for. The same things I said about Javon Holland and our McCourty here, Jason McCourty, apply. 
Then there's Kyle Duggar, who has instincts, burst, range. Man, he's a good player. They're so deep at that safety's position. Adrian Phillips, another guy. It's very possible he winds up somewhere that you don't expect him to be, whether it's coming down for a rush or robbing the middle of the field or showing pressure and falling off into the hook zone. You'll recall he had a pick in the opener last year doing just that, kind of hiding himself in the defense and being where you know Fitz didn't expect him to be on that throw late in the second quarter, I believe it was. And one thing I've been impressed with, you know, too, and his ability is to show the defense one thing and then go somewhere else. And the quarterback dictates the action in this sense. So staying hyper-focused and getting through his pre-snap checklist and operating post-snap with that same efficiency and attention to detail, that'll be the best way to create those big passing lanes. And I think Tua can do it. Now, lastly, I shared a video from practice on Wednesday with Tua throwing routes on air to Jakeem Grant. And you see this deep ball just falling right into the accelerating hands of Jakeem. And we've talked about that at length on this podcast. And who remembers a 2018 game or 3-0 going to the Patriots house, big game, and it wasn't pretty. They played coverage all day in that game. And it just it, they just couldn't hit the anticipatory throws to the difficult parts of the field. That's what they want to do, make you put the ball in the most challenging spots. That'll be a key. You have to play well to beat a Belichick coach defense. And I think anticipation will be paramount. How about the matchups on the outside? All those safeties I mentioned are exceptional tacklers, and the same is true at corner. You just don't play DB or really any position for Belichick if you can't tackle. But the corners on the outside, this is an interesting matchup, and it starts with the obvious. No defensive player of the year in Stephon Gilmore back from 2019, but one of the game's very best will not be out there. Now they have another one of the game's very best in J.C. Jackson, who allowed just 54.7 completions last year and five touchdowns compared to nine interceptions. He is so, so, so very good. We were four for six going after him in that week 15 game with just 34 yards and a pick. He's got long speed to counter what Miami's offense has. So I'll be curious to see how they deploy him. Does he draw a waddle when he flexes out? Does he go match up with Jakeem when he's out there? Maybe Albert Wilson? Or do they have him stick to whoever they perceive to be our number two passing option and double the number one option? Again, there are so many tools in the tool bag with this matchup, but Jackson is a heady player with great transition skills, both laterally and vertically. So I would be weary of throwing to him on those anticipation balls because he can make you pay with the game-breaking uh, uh, ball hawking skills. But now where Gilmore's absence could, and I, I capitalize could, be felt is the other perimeter corner position. Jonathan Jones is a very good slot corner, but Stephon Gilmore out, you know, Jason McCourty was in that role last year for them. Now he's here, obviously. So they get Jalen Mills, the Philadelphia corner, and last year was his best season in Philly, allowing a passer rating of just 90.0, and in his career, it's 95.6, but he's a six foot one receiver, 191 pounds with 4'6 speed. Maybe that's how they attack Miami's bigger options, like a Devontae Parker, a, a Mac Hollins, maybe even Mike Kosicki. We'll find out and finding soft spots in zone with anticipation throws. And then I think maybe try to win some of the one-on-one matchups with some of the size in the middle of the field. I think our big guys match up really well that way because the Patriots defensive backfield, for all of its strengths, there's not a ton of size back there. And you've got to have answers against man coverage too. Does that look like some mesh with some of the speed we have to create natural rubs? The point is plenty of options are out there for both teams in this game. Now up front, this is an area where you're going to get tested. Patriots offensive line versus, or rather Dolphins offensive line versus the Patriots D line slash edge rushers. Their front is experienced, versatile, and very, very good. The Dolphins line is young and communication will be paramount. Good technique, good fundamentals, even more so because those guys, they're coached well and they can deconstruct poor technique, I think with relative ease. 
So find out where the hell 54 is because Dante Hightower opted out last year and I thought he was the biggest loss for the Patriots of their entire season. He's been a top three off-ball linebacker in QB pressures. Each of his last three seasons, he did play from 17 through 19 for, through pro football focus. But he can come down and play Sam, set the edge in the run game, help with him with uh, chips and, and back stepping up in protection. You got to keep your eyes on number 54. But you also have to get Matt Judon blocked because he's explosive and fantastic lateral agility helps him execute those games and twists and stunts and looper moves. And his secondary moves play so well that you have to go through the whistle. Otherwise, he can take over a game and you can't let that happen. His pressures the last two seasons, 46 last year after missing some games on 337 pass rush reps. And in 2019, he had 63 total pressures. Man, he's a beast. And the size of him and Hightower is what really stands out in the neighborhood of, you know, 260 pounds. That's a tough ask for this Dolphins offensive line. Keep an eye on both those guys, 54 and number nine. It'll be very important for Tua to get those guys located and correctly get his protection in the right spots. But the hits keep coming, and it's more big guys, because Lawrence Guy, 16 pressures, 28 run stops a year ago. Dietrich Wise, 30 pressures, 19 run stops. He, these guys are big, long dudes that can control the point. They, you know, It's not all that different from the guys we have here on the front line that can play long, can play with their eyes, and, and can really use power and, and quickness and speed. And then you obviously know about Devon Godshaw. He's a space eater and a good run defender. The matchups are tough to differentiate You know who's going to go up against who with how multiple they are. But to me, it's really about getting Hightower and Judon located and understand that what they're doing might take you to the key of the play because they want, they'll want to scheme up chances for those guys, two of their very best. Dolphins running backs versus Patriots linebackers here to close this thing out before specialists. And one good way to get those edge and off-ball linebackers that provide so much rush threat a little off of their keys is to get backs involved in the passing game. We saw Miles Gaskin have some success this preseason and sort of have a breakthrough performance in his opener last year in the first half of that Patriots game, making some plays on the perimeter. I think using both he and Savon Ahmed in the passing game could go a long way to keeping those guys honest and maybe get them moving sideline to sideline opposed to vertical and, and downhill, especially when you start to incorporate some of the pre-snap motion and things that keep those guys' eyes busy pre-snap. On special teams, Dolphins were sixth last year. Obviously, you have the all-pro kicker and Jason Sanders, a very good long snapper and Blake Ferguson, and newcomer Michael Pilardi. The Patriots on Football Outsiders were seventh in special teams a year ago. And they bring back one of the league's best punters in Jake Bailey. And they have a rookie kicker in Quinn Norden, who was undrafted out of Michigan this past season. So there's your nutshell takeaway. The three keys I have for this game, we'll cover this on the MiamiDolphins.com website later as well in the week. But number one, test the rookie quarterback, throw the kitchen sink at him, mix it up, mix up your coverage, mix up your fronts, mix up your blitzes, all that fun stuff. Spread the wealth without Stephon Gilmore in that secondary. Use the depth you have to test their depth they have in that secondary. And then keeping guys in because their pass rush is tough. Maybe you keep extra parts in to kind of counteract their rush prowess and rely on the couple of receivers you do have as far as getting the ball in their hands quickly and making plays. But keeping Tua upright and safe is the most surefire way to to win this football game. I have the Dolphins will win if they win on early downs and get into third and long on defense. And the Patriots will win if, well, if they succeed on early downs offensively. But for the sake of the variety of this segment, if they get pressure without sending extra rushers, if the Patriots get home with three or four rushers, it's going to be a tough, tough task to win that football game. 
and we have our first injury report of the season. Liam Eichenberg and Preston Williams were listed as limited participants on Wednesday's practice. Savan Ahmed, Clayton Fejlum, Devontae Parker, Elandon Roberts, and Albert Wilson were all full participants for the Patriots. Three players were limited. Wide receiver Nelson Aguilar, tackle Yadni Kajust, and safety Jalen Mills. All right, we got picks now, baby. We're going to pick all the games on the NFL schedule this year, and it starts tonight. The season starts tonight, guys. Bucks and Cowboys. Give me the Bucks. They have too much offensive firepower for a remade Dallas defense. Home team raising its banner almost never loses those games. I like the Bucks comfortably in the opener, and we'll pick the rest of the games tomorrow. Go around the web and see what the national publications are picking. Get the last word from those publications. Take your questions via the Twitter and Apple Podcast Reviews mailbag. Open up our first college six-pack of the year where I preview the weekend in college football with an eye towards games and individuals to watch, and we're also going to have John Jemmy on the podcast. Plenty of fun stuff. It's regular season mode. The podcasts are getting longer here, but that for this podcast is going to be my time. Caroline Daddy is coming home. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. Just published their episode with Wes Welker this week. You do not want to miss that one. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.